right, for our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Matthew Steele entitled, Perfectly Prepared for Passover. Mr. Steele. Matthew wears so many hats. Good afternoon, everyone. I have way too many wires on me. I'm going to get electrocuted. Apologize. Well, as you... Uh, you already noticed. The title of my message today is Perfectly Prepared for Passover. And um, I, I didn't choose that title just because of the greater alliteration in there and the poetry of it. I chose it because it represents two perhaps sometimes conflicting points of view. It is both a question and an answer. It is a question and a statement, in fact. And we're going to dig into that a little bit, and, and maybe uh, I'll get to explain to you what I mean by that. There are at least two ways of approaching Passover, of preparing our minds, our hearts, for the Christian Passover as we celebrate it. The first is this long tradition, and Reg uh, alluded to it earlier, of self examination. We're all familiar with that scripture. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread, says Paul, or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment unto himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And so we get from this scripture this admonition, this idea that we should examine ourselves before we take of that bread and that wine, before we celebrate that solemn Passover observance, that memorial of Jesus, our sacrifice, our Passover lamb. And it's also this same scripture that can give us pause, can't it? Especially on that night when we read it, right before we're about to partake of those symbols. You can give us pause. Have we done the self-examination? Did we do that self-examination before we arrived at that place? Have we examined ourselves? And if so, what are we looking for? What are we examining ourselves for? Because that is the critical point in this passage. 
You know, there has to be a reason for an exam, right? I mean, oftentimes in French, in school, I kind of thought there wasn't a reason for the exam because, well, all the Europeans are learning English anyway, right? But we have to have a reason, a purpose. A, there is a purpose behind any examination, any test that we have to take. We have to know what we're looking for so we can make a determination. Are we passing or failing? We have to know if we can, oh, I've got this. I can relax. I've got this exam. Who's ever done that in school? Or, no, uh, I need to do all that study that I should have done for the last few weeks tonight. So we, we prepare in some ways, but based on what the exam is about. I had, uh, you know, remembering school, I, there was one time, I was pretty good at athletics, believe it or not, when I was younger. And um, there was one time when we were having these sporting events and, and there, was a, there was competitions, it was just within the school. And it was athletics, it was, you know, I think 50 meters race and 100 meters and a, a few other uh, different races and then, um, you know, they ruined a perfectly good racetrack by putting fences all the way down it, one of those. I hated the hurdles. But I remember I was, I, I, I guess I wasn't paying enough attention. So my, my, the sports teacher calls me up. I'm just sitting there in the line and calls me up and another friend of mine puts us at the start and gets us ready to do a, I think it was a 50 meter run. <coughs> And this is a friend of mine, and I'm thinking, uh, I don't really want to embarrass him. Because I knew I was faster than him. And so I thought, well, I'll just stay just ahead of him, right? That way, it's not a big gap. He's not going to be embarrassed. And I still win, right? I mean, you, you've got to still win. So I do that. And so I'm coasting along as happy as can be, not really breaking a sweat. And my our friend here is struggling. And we're, I think we even had a little conversation along the way. <laughs> and I finish. And the teacher comes up to me with his stopwatch and he's writing down on the, on the board and he says, congratulations, Matt. You just won the gold. Uh, what now? Wasn't that a warm-up heat? I thought that was a warm-up heat. Well, it turns out it was time trials. I don't know why they did it this way, but two at a time, they were timing us, and I took the gold cruising next to my friend. Now, how greater my score could have been, my time could have been, if I had recognized the reason I was running, the reason that I was being tested. And that's important for us to remember in our preparation for Passover. Why are we being tested? So is that what Paul's asking us to do? To fully test ourselves, examine ourselves. And what does he mean by that? In verse 28, the word that is translated from the Greek, examine, in the English means to test or to analyze. And that word itself is then 
from, derived from another Greek word, which means to test or, or be tested or approved. And then that word in turn is also derived from another root word, which means to be received or receive or accept, accepted. I find that's interesting because it raises another question. Does that mean that by examining ourselves to see if we're acceptable, that we have to have some kind of passing grade to observe Passover? Is that what he means? That there's a benchmark. There's, there's a level of achievement that we must reach in order to be accepted, in order to pass the test. And yet, that's not really what Paul's saying here. In fact, he's not saying much about that at all. He just says, don't take it unworthily. And then doesn't give us any more detail. What do you mean by unworthily? He doesn't say, well, you can, you can commit kind of these kind of sins, but not these kind of sins. He doesn't say, you know, you've got to have a period of time from your last sin. There's, there's, and, and I don't know about you, but to my mind, when I read that, I, I don't think of anything other than I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to pass some kind of test to be worthy of taking the symbols of my Savior's sacrifice for me. Paul doesn't offer any of those standards. He doesn't tell us what level of our obedience needs to be, what our sin threshold can be. There's no specificity about what is permissible and what is not. So a conclusion then would be there's only one standard, right? If there's only one standard, it has to be perfection. perfection. Well, if we tie that with Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, that gives us an insurmountable hurdle. Because in Hebrews 10, 26, it says, for if we sin willfully, we have received the knowledge. After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for us, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' Lord dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What are we to make of that? I mean, aren't all sins willful? I mean, we, we sin consciously. I don't think a lot of us go around sleepwalking. Well, maybe some of us go around sleepwalking, especially on this day, right? But aren't all sins willful? 
Don't we have a choice? Isn't there a conscious component to our actions when we're sinning? Do we know that we're sinning? Of course we do. Of course we do. We might have justification for why it's okay this time. But we do know when we sin. Sure, we can sin in ignorance, but many times we are sinning with full knowledge, full awareness of what we're doing. So are we to understand then that by this standard, that if we break the law of Moses, just as we break the law of Moses, we will die without mercy, and the more so, we will be doubly damned because we have also trampled the Son of God underfoot. Sinning willfully after once accepting the Son of God, after once accepting the Son of God as your Savior, as my Savior, what are we to do? What can we do? If the writer of Hebrews is correct, then there's nothing more that we can do. There's no more sacrifice for sin. We've insulted that spirit of grace, and surely we have fallen short of the standard. Our self-examination in this sense would seem to confirm that this building, in a few days' time, will be empty. On Passover, by this standard. Not one of us will be able to eat that bread and drink of that cup. But how can this be? What would be the point? What would be the point of observing Passover if none of us could be there? If none of us are worthy of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ? Paul himself, by his own words, would not be worthy to take the bread and take the wine. He also would be condemned. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 21, he says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the, the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against my mind and bringing me again into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, he says, who will deliver me? from this body of death. How can we be delivered from this? And we could say the same. If there's a standard that we must meet, then surely it is the law. And if we willfully break the law, then according to what we just read in Hebrews, that's the whole shooting match. That's it. You see the absurdity that I'm building, don't you? The absurdity in that kind of view. But that's the end result of examining ourselves in the wrong way. That's the consequence of an incorrect self-examination. If we think that there's some sort of sinless standard for us to attain in order to participate in the Passover, then there is no way that we can participate in the Passover. And then, of course, there is no way that we could be redeemed. There is clearly something else going on here. I mentioned earlier that the Greek word for examine can be traced back to the root word meaning received or accepted. 
Clearly, it does not mean that we have reached some acceptable standard and are worthy to partake. So, where does that leave us? In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. I'm not too sure if you've ever thought about it this in this way, but there's a kind of exchange going on here. In this process of examination, in this process of Christian perfection, we're exchanging our sinful bodies for a piece of his sinless body. When I said this earlier to my wife, she's like, it sounds like the invasion of the body snatchers. And maybe in some way that is. We have been infected, invaded, right? Our nice comfy world has been invaded by the truth of God and the spirit of God. And he has broken into our cozy little world and called us out of the world to be his. And we are engaging in this practice of body exchange. We are exchanging our poor, meager body for the body of endless life for Christ Jesus. Paul said we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. We are to give our bodies over to God. Not in some mystical kind of just spiritualistic sense. Actually, giving him authority over our bodies submitting our bodies to his work, to the things that he has called us to do. And if you think about it, our bodies are all that we really have, right? That's the last ultimate possession that we have. We can take away our, our homes and our cars and all of our possessions, and finally we are left with our bodies, and you can even take our clothes too. And all that we have is our bodies. And Jesus is asking us, will you exchange, will you offer your body to me? Because I exchanged and offered my body for you. Will we give up our body as that sacrifice to God? And without this body, we wouldn't exist. Our body is ultimately everything to us. So when God says, and when Paul says we are to offer up our body as an acceptable sacrifice, he is saying everything that we have, he is asking us to give in exchange for the body of Christ Jesus given for us. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. 
Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk. In other words, follow me and follow those that walk like me, as you have, for, you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even in weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. You know, Paul is imagining individuals that he knows, individuals that he knows that is no longer walk according to that way that he is walking. And we too know individuals that are, have rejected and willfully taken their life taken their sacrifice away from God and sent it in another direction. We can weep for those. We know those. No longer able. They are no longer able to eat of that bread and drink of that cup. He says for us, for those of us that still walk in this way, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed into his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even to subdue all things under himself. He's going to take that exchange. He's going to take that offering and he's going to convert it into a body like his glorious body. And that's the point. That's the point of salvation. That's the point of Passover. And that's the point of this self-examination. That we're not checking to see if we are without sin. No. We're all weak. We're all frail. We're all sinners. In this flesh, we could never be without sin. We should strive. We should always look to better ourselves. We should seek and follow after the leading of the Holy Spirit to walk in the law of God, of course. But that's not the standard by which we should examine ourselves for Passover. And if we had to, if we really could, if we really tried and we were able to live a sinless life, then I guess in some ways we wouldn't need Passover, would we? We wouldn't need it in the first place. We examine ourselves to see if we're acceptable by checking to make sure that we're following Paul. Following the disciples, the apostles, the saints that have gone before us as examples for us. Following Jesus Christ. This examination in the end is not about being sinless. It's really about something else. It's about something the Passover has always been about being humble. Being humble. Having humility. Not putting ourselves above God. Not walking in our own self-righteousness. Not being fearful either. And not submitting ourselves to the world. And that's what the writer of Hebrews was trying to tell us in regards to willful sin. Not that we, not that we sin not that our sin or, or out of our lusts or weakness, 
That's not what he was talking about. He was talking about rejecting the life that is in Christ Jesus. Keeping that sacrifice of our body for ourselves. Putting ourselves above God. There is no sacrifice once we reach that stage that can redeem us. Remember, it says back in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 26, For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the truth, our sins out of weakness, our sins out of the frailty of our flesh, has nothing to do with the knowledge of the truth. Rejecting God's way, rejecting Christ, our Passover, that is the truth that we would be willfully sinning. If we rejected God's truth after knowing it, after accepting it, after taking an oath to exchange our bodies for his offered body at Passover, if we do that, then there, we, then there is no more sacrifice for us. But instead, he says back in Hebrews 10 and verse 33, uh, 32, but recall the former days in which you were illuminated. You endured a great struggle with sufferings. And every single one of us has endured a great struggle in our own sufferings to walk this life, to keep this faith. At different times and in different places, we've all experienced that. He said, partly why you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which, was, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. Now, the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. That's us. We believe. We will endure in Christ Jesus, with the Spirit of God helping us to that saving of the soul. Our self-examination at Passover is really just a wonderful opportunity for us to recommit ourselves, recommit and to humble ourselves, to exchange ourselves a little bit that bread, that symbol of Christ's body as a symbol of, of what we should be doing daily. Exchanging some of ourself for some of him. Incorporating him and his glorious body which will work in us to life eternal. I mentioned at the beginning of this message that we can look at Passover in two ways. We can vainly try to find some kind of perfection, perfectly, prepare, perfectly prepare ourselves for Passover by trying to reach some standard, 
some definition of righteousness, of acceptance. But we know that's not possible. That's not the examination that Paul was having us to do. But Paul said in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, he said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Well, I deliberately stopped before the answer because we know the answer. He says, I thank God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's who will deliver us. That's who will save us. Christ Jesus, the only way that we can be delivered. He is the only way that we can be perfected for Passover. So, we come to the realization that it is Jesus who makes us prepared. It is Jesus that prepares us for Passover. So, like I said at the beginning, the sermon title is no longer a question. It's an answer. It's a statement of fact. That Christ Jesus working in us, cleansing us, prepares us for Passover. That we have been and will continue to be perfectly prepared for Passover if we have the humility to submit ourselves as a living sacrifice under the mighty hand of God. And it always comes back to that. It always comes back to humility. Actually being humble. Not acting humble. I know I should be humble, so I'm going to look like I'm humble. Because that's not it either, is it? Actual humility. And that humility comes from real introspection and real examination and recognizing that we are not worthy of the Passover. That we are not worthy of the, the bread and the wine, and the body of the, and the blood, that we are humble. True self-examination will reveal that humility. Self-justification or an undiscerning mind will not. Sin, as we all will, will probably hear in the, during the days of unleavened bread, puffs up. Sin puffs up. It brings about a condition of prideful arrogance, self-justification. But the Passover has always been about humility. Are we humble enough to accept the humiliation that Jesus endured? That Christ Jesus endured as our Passover? Are we humble enough to take upon us the name of the one who was nailed to a tree? humiliating way to die. Passover has always been about humility. And then we think all the way back to Israel and their experience of that first Passover. And what was, what was one of the biggest sins in the heart of Pharaoh? The opposite of humility was pride. God broke the pride of, Israel, of Egypt, broke the pride of Pharaoh with the humility of Passover. And then the Israelites themselves, you know, we kind of forget, but at one point it was a new thing for them to 
You want me to daub this blood on my door? What? This is odd. Kind of humbling. This is going to save me? This I've seen the power of God for the, the last nine plagues. This is going to save us. Just this thin layer of blood. Would we be willing to do that today? In our nice manicured neighborhoods. Take some blood. Put it on the lintels, the doorposts. I'm not suggesting we do that. There's probably some kind of code that says we shouldn't do that. But it would be humiliating, wouldn't it? It would be, people would think we were odd. Passover has always been about humili humiliation, humility rather. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything to us, and we, compared to him, are nothing. And it is only that perfect blood of the Lamb that can prepare us for Passover. In the end, we all, all we have ever done is accept that blood, accept that sacrifice of Jesus. That's all we can do. We haven't done a single thing to make ourselves perfect. How could we? How could we be perfect for Passover? It is God. It is Christ Jesus himself that makes us perfect. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 11, he says, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he has offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are his, made his footstool. For by, every, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Are you perfected? Yes. You are being perfected because you are being sanctified. This is why we examine ourselves, so that we can remember that there is nothing we can do so that we can get that big dose of humility and help us remember who it is that perfects us. So we can cry with Paul, who can save us from the body of this death? He continues, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And this is the irony in many ways of Passover. Because I'm sure most of us at one time or another have come to Passover service having our hearts full of regret. Having our minds recalling sins. Things that we struggle with. Maybe things that we have done in that day. And we sit there waiting for services to start. Maybe running through those 
things or trying not to think about them. All the while, as we're listing those out, God's saying, I, I don't remember those. I don't remember those at all. I, I don't recall that sin. You must be talking about somebody else. Because you are being made perfect. I am being made perfect. And we are being made into that new creature in Christ Jesus. He said he would not remember our sins anymore. Therefore, brethren, having boldness. Wait. Boldness? We just went from humility to boldness. Boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In closing, I'd like to turn to First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Because we are made perfect by Jesus Christ. We have been made perfectly prepared for Passover. We can come to Passover knowing that Christ Jesus has made us ready. We have humbled ourselves. And if we have confessed, we've confessed that there's nothing that we can do for ourselves, then we are prepared in Christ. That only the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus, what Paul was saying, that only that righteousness can prepare us. And that's what Peter tells us in this last passage. He says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. There's a similar word to what Paul used earlier. He said, in the assurance of faith, and Peter is saying, in steadfastness of faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, there's that perfect word, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever. Amen.